Big Finish present Doctor Who, Short Trips. The Warren Legacy by Julian Richards, read by Stephen Critchley. It was a dark and stormy night. The governor had always hated the storms on this world. He had never been able to sleep when a storm was raging ever since he was a child. His grandfather had told him that the storms back on Earth had never been as bad as the storms here. The governor sometimes found himself wishing his grandfather had never left Earth. That way the governor wouldn't have to deal with the storms or the colony or Lord Samuel Warren. The governor had spent too much time trying to deal with Lord Samuel Warren and could see no freedom from this burden. The Warren family could trace their line back through countless centuries to the ancient aristocracies of Earth. Lord Warren's line was as pure as any bloodline could be on the colony. He should have been the foremost supporter of the governor's reforms, designed as they were to protect the rights of first-generation colony families. That Lord Warren was the foremost opponent of those reforms was the source of a great deal of consternation to the governor. Often he found himself wishing that Lord Samuel Warren had never been born. As the governor sat at his desk wishing that he could sleep, that the storm would abate and that Lord Samuel Warren had never been born, he realised that he was not alone. The six figures who were stood before his desk had seemingly emerged from nowhere. The door hadn't opened, the windows were still shuttered against the storm, and yet here they were. They appeared to be human, but it was impossible to be certain because they were encased in ivory-coloured armour that almost looked like bone. Indeed, the armour seemed to be sculpted to look like a carapace or exoskeleton of some kind except for the masks. The masks bore the visages of snarling beasts, streaked with red across their cheeks and fangs. They were the faces of monsters. The governor sat perfectly still for a few moments. He did not cry out, he did not even flinch. The power of motion had entirely deserted him in the face of these fearful apparitions. Finally, he found the courage to speak. Who are you? he asked, his voice barely wavering. And what do you want? We are the Quill. The answer didn't seem to be spoken, nor to come from any single one of the six bone-armoured figures. Instead, it echoed around the governor's mind as if he'd always known it. The governor felt like he was going to be sick, even as the next six words entered his mind. And we want to help you. Help me? How? The governor thought. The answer came before he could ask the question out loud. Lord Samuel Warren, you wished that he had never been born. We can make it so. 
It took the governor a moment to take in what the Quell had told him. You mean? We can make it so Norse Samuel Warren was never born. We can erase him entirely from the course of history. It shall be as though he never existed. Even as the governor was thinking there must be a catch, the voices of the Quell echoed in his head once more. We ask only a small thing in return. The governor nodded. He had been in his position long enough to know that nothing was free. What is this small thing? he asked. Your firstborn son. The governor almost laughed. The quell remained impassive as he agreed to their terms. Lord Samuel Warren erased from history, the greatest thorn at his side removed. His firstborn son seemed a fair price to pay for that. After all, the governor thought to himself, it's not as if I have a son to give them. As the quell turned and began to walk away, the governor wondered why he had thought there were only six of them. There were seven of them. There always had been seven of them. And as the quell faded away, the governor began forgetting that he had ever thought there were six of them. Leaning back in his chair and smiling at the thought of a world without Samuel Warren, the governor drifted into a deep and contented sleep. Outside, the rain lashed down, the thunder roared, and the lightning lit up the sky. It was a dark and stormy night. Lord Samuel Warren had been sleeping in his study. The book he'd been reading still open against his chest. He had slept through the wind and the rain and the thunder. He had not been able to sleep through the sound of someone hammering on his front door. Heaving himself out of his armchair, Samuel made his way towards the entrance hall. As always, he found himself shuddering as he walked past the statue at the entrance to the portrait gallery. The hideous thing always seemed to be watching him. Its empty eye socket somehow following him as he walked past it into the gallery. Samuel had always felt more comfortable under the painted gaze of his ancestors than the gaze of that bone-faced thing in the study. They would understand his discomfort with it. They'd suffered far worse than discomfort at the hands of those things, after all. The lights flickered into life as Samuel walked into the entrance hall. All right, I'm coming! He called as he made his way over to the doors. Opening them, he was more than a little surprised by the figures that greeted him. Hello! Thank you for letting us in. That storm is getting rather terrible, said the man in the ridiculous scarf in one breath as he pushed past Samuel into the hall. He whipped his hat from his head and began to wring it out on the floor until he looked up to see Samuel staring at him in frank disbelief. I'm sorry, is this your floor? He asked, seeming genuinely surprised at this possibility. Well, yes, Samuel answered, wanting to go on to ask who the man was. Before he could, the man had started speaking again. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. It is a very nice floor, he decided. He gestured to his companion. Isn't it a nice floor? 
It is a terribly nice floor, said the young lady in the white dress dutifully as she stepped into the entrance hall. Where her companion was bedraggled to a point that beggared belief, she was somehow still elegant. Her clothes didn't even seem to be wet, while his seemed to be more water than cloth at this point. The man in the ridiculous scarf was now wringing his hat out into the pot plant. Samuel felt he ought to say something at this point. He considered asking who these strange people were, but he wasn't sure he wanted to know the answer. Doctor, give me strength, he muttered under his breath. The man looked up suddenly, as if he'd heard his name. I'm sorry, he asked. Did you just say, doctor, give me strength? Uh, just an old family exclamation, Samuel explained, feeling a little guilty that the stranger had heard his little outburst. Uh, there's a fire lit in the study, if you'd like to come through. Uh, that's very kind of you, said the lady in white. I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Samuel, he told her, trying as hard as he could to emphasize the fact that he was a Samuel and not a Sam. She seemed to take the hint. It's a pleasure to meet you, Samuel, she replied. I'm Ro... Before she could finish, her soggy companion interrupted her. Oh, I'm sure Samuel doesn't want to hear about us, he said, his voice booming around the entrance hall as he put his arm around Samuel's shoulders. Let's go and see this fire of yours, Samuel. And on the way, you can tell me how you come to have such a splendid Elizabethan manor house on a colony world twenty light years from Earth. And so saying, he led Samuel towards the door to the kitchen. Uh, the study is actually in that direction, Samuel explained, pointing across to the door on the opposite side of the entrance hall. The stranger stopped stock still and looked over at the door to the portrait gallery. Are you sure? he asked. Once Samuel had reassured him that he was, they set off through the portrait gallery to the study, the young lady following them and smirking at her companion's sense of direction. The two strangers were refreshingly unfazed by the revelation that Samuel was a lord. He had grown terribly tired of people being impressed by the vestiges of Earth's aristocracy. He only kept the title because it gave him leverage in his attempts to block the governor's reforms against the second and third generation colonists, and because his mother had told him he had to. The Warren family had a long tradition of respect for one's ancestors, as the strangers were learning from the portrait gallery. It's rather a sparse portrait gallery, isn't it? Asked the young lady as they reached the study. Yes, chipped in the man in the ridiculous scarf, collapsing into the armchair Samuel had been sat in earlier. And you do know one of them's a fake. Samuel chuckled. <laughs> the portrait of the first Lord Warren was commissioned by my mother he explained, and every holder of the title has a portrait hanging somewhere in the house. Then why only those six in the portrait gallery? asked the man. Seems like a waste of a perfectly good portrait gallery. Unless there's something special about those six. Uh, there is something special about those six, Samuel said, pleased at this chance to share the story at last. He wasn't sure why he was sure the two strangers would believe the story, but he was. Those six were the ones who faced the quell. 
The quell? asked the man in the ridiculous scarf, sitting up sharply. His interest apparently piqued. What are the quell? asked the young lady, seemingly more to her companion than Samuel. I have no idea, the man said, turning to Samuel. What are the quell? Samuel pointed over to the statue by the doorway. In a single bound, the man in the ridiculous scarf was out of his chair and across the room, examining it. Just a statue of one, thankfully, but those are the quell, Samuel said. They turn up periodically and try to kill my family. Well, that must be awful. Mustn't that be awful? asked the man, turning to his companion. Oh, terribly awful, she replied. Yes, indeed, the man continued, turning back to Samuel. However has your family coped with being hunted by these bone-faced monstrosities? Well, it's certainly been inconvenient, Samuel said, but thankfully the Doctor and Romana have always been on hand to save us. The silence that followed lasted a little longer than Samuel felt it should have done. The man in the ridiculous scarf seemed to be having trouble keeping his eyes inside his skull. The young lady put a hand on Samuel's shoulder and smiled sweetly. Perhaps you could tell us more of your family history, she said encouragingly. Samuel led them back to the portrait gallery. It seemed the best place to tell all. Under the watchful painted gaze of his ancestors, Samuel began their story. <clears throat> it all began with the first Lord Warren. He was fighting with the Third Crusade at the Siege of Jaffa. During the fighting, he and a small group of knights were separated from the main body of the Crusader army. Lord Warren wrenched his helmet from his head and felt the sun on his face for the first time since he entered Jaffa. It should be safe now. The Saracens had been cleared from this part of the city. Lord Warren wanted to see the city with his own eyes, to taste the air freely, to hear clearly. What he heard was the sound of steel passing through flesh. There had been seven knights in Lord Warren's party. They were some of the finest warriors he'd ever known, some of his closest friends. They were all dead. In perfect unison, the seven demon skeletons pulled their swords from the bodies of Lord Warren's knights and turned their heads to face him. Lord Warren's sword was in his hand in an instant, leveled at the ivory monsters. What are you? He asked as they dropped the bodies of his comrades to the floor and turned towards him. Their voices echoed in his mind, never spoken aloud, and yet somehow something it seemed he'd known all along. We are the Quell. We are your death. Lord Warren could feel the sweat on his brow turn cold. He knew fear the like of which he'd never imagined before. But he stood his ground, he raised his sword and he braced himself as the quell stalked towards him, swords glinting in the sunlight. And that would have been the end of the Warren family line, Samuel said, were it not for the timely arrival of Richard the Lionheart. Who's Richard the Lionheart? asked the lady in white with a frown. If he was some sort of transplant recipient, I would have thought the chances of tissue rejection would be far too. Samuel had hoped that the strangers would know a little more of the history of Old Earth than most of the colonists. Thankfully, it appeared that the man in the ridiculous scarf did. Richard the Lionheart, 
He was the King of England, honestly. What do they teach you at the Academy these days? He was leading the Third Crusade that was one of their wars. You humans do so like your wars, don't you? The stranger's question seemed to be rhetorical from the way he kept talking. Lovely chap, Richard, as I recall. At least, until he wasn't. He stopped, looking thoughtful. Samuel waited to be sure that the stranger had finished before he continued. Richard's arrival saved the First Lord Warren from the quell, and he did not come alone. The demons had fallen back when the king and his party had arrived. Lord Warren watched as one of the nearest to him shuddered and then collapsed in on itself, like an empty suit of armor. Looking up from the pile of bones, Lord Warren could see no sign of the others. What he saw instead was the King of England dismounting and walking over to him. He immediately fell to one knee. Your Highness, he said, thank you. Your arrival may have saved my life. Don't thank me, Lord Warren, thank them, said King Richard, gesturing towards the two figures mounted beside him. They're the ones who told us you were here and in danger. Lord Warren turned to the two figures, a man and a woman. The man waved and grinned broadly. Hello, he said, I'm the Doctor. And he offered no further name than the Doctor. His companion was a little more forthcoming. I'm Romana, she said, as she walked with Lord Warren and the Doctor through Jaffa. A strange name, Lord Warren commented, still not entirely at ease with what had happened. My full name is Romana de Vratralunda, she explained, smiling. I've never been to Vratralunda, Lord Warren replied, wondering which of the French provinces it was in. Where is it precisely you're from? Gallifrey, she told him. You're Irish, he asked, surprised at this. She looked as if she was about to say something, but the doctor shushed her. Lord Warren continued. Forgive me, Lady Romana. By your name and by your natural elegance, I had assumed you were from the French court. But I digress. How can I thank you for saving me from those demons? And then the doctor's face became deadly serious as he told Lord Warren what he had to do. Tell your children what happened today and tell them to tell their children and then to tell their children and their children and their children for as long as the Warren lineage lasts. Can you do that, Lord Warren? And he did, said Samuel. The young lady was listening intently the man was studying the remaining portraits on the wall. What about the rest of them? He asked, turning to Samuel. What happened to the other five? Samuel looked at the furthest portrait for a moment before speaking. A century and a half passed, and each Lord Warren told their children of the bone-faced demons. And then, one night, Lord Edward Warren was plagued by nightmares. Lord Edward Warren's sickness had been born from his dream. Of this, there was no doubt. He had awoken in the dead of night, deathly pale, sickly weak and screaming. The household had asked him what had happened, tried to decipher his terror-crazed ramblings. What they were able to piece together chilled them to the core. That night, Lord Edward had dreamed that he lay in his bed unable to move or to speak, as six figures stood over him, 
Six apparitions of death himself. Walking skeletons with faces of bestial cruelty had told him that they bore him no malice, that there was nothing personal in this, that he simply had to die, and the Warren bloodline with him. Then the nearest of them had drawn a dagger that seemed to glow green and shift like it was liquid and stabbed it into Lord Edward's neck. The next thing he knew, he was awake and he was dying. With every passing moment, Lord Edward grew paler and weaker. He would be dead before the sun rose and there was nothing that could be done for him. And the hammering on the doors of the castle did little to help. The steward was dispatched to send away whoever was there. He told the man and the woman outside that Lord Edward was sick and they were disturbing him. Well, that's terribly unfortunate, the man had said. Fortunately for you, I'm a doctor. And so saying, he had barged past the steward, the woman following and apologizing for him. It seemed something she was used to doing. The steward hurried after, trying to make them leave, all the way up to Lord Edward's room. How he came to be stood outside the room with all of the household, while the strange doctor and his companion were alone with Lord Edward, he did not know. He knew Lord Edward should not be left with strangers in his final moments, but somehow he couldn't quite believe these were Lord Edward's final moments. And when the sun came up, Lord Edward emerged from the room, a new man, stronger and healthier than he had ever been. And really, that's where it all started, explained Samuel. The doctor and his companion claimed to be the same doctor and Romana that had helped the first Lord Warren and Jaffa. Not descendants, you understand. The same people. That was the part of the story that people usually objected to in some way. Samuel's strange guests did not. They simply exchanged a glance. Well now, said the man in the ridiculous scarf, that does sound interesting. I presume that they came back again at some point. Oh, they did said Samuel, pleasantly surprised that his guest had accepted the immortal time-traveller aspect of the story. And so, of course, did the quell. In the year 1593, Lord Thomas Warren went hunting with his wife, Lady Elizabeth, her attendant handmaidens, a few attendants, the dogs, and a man with ridiculous hair. The man with ridiculous hair assured Lord Thomas that he was the new Huntmaster, filling in for the Huntmaster who had been unexpectedly called away to tend for his sick mother. It had been a strange enough day already for Lord Thomas. That morning, five strange knights had arrived from London. They had worn armour of ivory and refused to remove their helms. Claiming disfigurements they had suffered in battle would fright the ladies. They had stayed only long enough to present Lady Elizabeth with a necklace, inlaid with strange and beautiful jewels, before departing. Lord Thomas had had no time to wonder at this before his wife had taken him aside and told him she was with child. So his mind was racing enough that he did not question the new Huntmaster's story, nor did he notice that the dogs were restless and growing ever more so until the first of them turned and launched itself at Lady Elizabeth, snarling and barking in rage and confusion. 
Had one of Lady Elizabeth's attendants not had the speed and instinct to throw her cloak over the dog, it may well have killed Lady Elizabeth. As it was, the other dogs may well have killed her instead. Lord Thomas desperately spurred his horse towards his wife, hoping to get between her and the dogs. The huntmaster had produced a thin metallic tube and was desperately fiddling with it, muttering something about a counter-frequency. The attendant who had thrown her cloak over the dog had ridden over to Lady Elizabeth. Lord Thomas watched as the handmaiden grabbed the necklace from around his wife's neck and hurled it as far away as she could. As one, the dogs turned, following the necklace as it landed just in front of Lord Thomas. For the first time that day, Lord Thomas's mind cleared. The necklace was cursed. His wife and unborn child were in danger. He knew what he had to do. Leaping down from his horse, Thomas landed right on top of the necklace. It splintered and cracked under his heel, then shattering as he ground down hard. The dogs suddenly fell silent. Calm now before lying rather sheepishly on the ground and whining almost apologetically. Romana, I think I've got it, shouted the huntmaster before looking up from his tube to see Lord Thomas stood on the shattered necklace. Or perhaps you've got it, he continued, seemingly slightly disappointed. I suppose that works too. Stand and deliver! There were few words that Lord Richard Warren wanted to hear less while riding home from London in the middle of the night. The coach pulled to a stop. Lord Richard took a deep breath and stepped out of the coach to see a man and a woman in ridiculous clothes. The man was pointing a silver tube at the now rather terrified coachman. It didn't take Lord Richard long to work out who the strangers must be. So you're the Dogs from Romana, are you? he asked. The man smiled broadly and lowered the tube. I assume my life is in danger then, Lord Richard continued. Four of the quell are waiting further along the road, said Romana. Is there another route you can take? Lord Richard turned to the coachman, who appeared utterly baffled by the entire turn of events. Don't worry about them, Simon. Just find us another way home. Simon the coachman nodded and took up the reins as Lord Richard clambered back into the coach the doctor and Romana following him. Lord Richard was slightly disappointed that he wouldn't get to see his family's great enemy face to face, but he was too fond of living to complain, and it gave him the chance to ask the doctor and Romana about them. And what did they tell him? asked the young lady as Samuel stopped talking. He paused a moment before answering. They told him that the quell were assassins, not constrained by the passage of time, that they were born from the echoes of people who once were, when they were erased from existence. But that's impossible, exclaimed the young lady. The man in the ridiculous scarf seemed much less surprised. Yes, fascinating, isn't it? He asked no one except himself. Paradoxical assassins, plaguing a single family through history. But why your family? Samuel shrugged. They didn't say. I assume one of my ancestors did something to offend them. Not one of your descendants, asked the man in the ridiculous scarf. Samuel shook his head. I 
have no children, and I can't imagine I'm going to have any. I will almost certainly be the last of the Warrens. It was not a thought Samuel liked to entertain often. He smiled and shrugged, and continued on with his story. Lady Samantha Warren wasn't sure if she wanted to kill the driver, or whoever was supposed to be in charge of road maintenance, but she wanted to kill someone. Her mother had told her that childbirth didn't hurt as much as she'd been led to believe by schools and the media and literally anyone else she'd ever discussed it with. And literally everyone else she'd ever discussed it with. Maybe she wanted to kill her mother. Lady Samantha wasn't sure killing one's mother was acceptable in 1988, but she felt that anyone who'd ever met her mother would forgive her. Then, everything went wrong. When Lady Samantha came to, she was lying in the wreckage of the car, which appeared to be wrapped around the front end of an oil tanker. She could see the driver groaning at the side of the road. He was clutching at an arm that was supported by a sling seemingly made out of an incredibly long and multicoloured scarf. She could see two men in fancy dress as skeletons emerge from the oil tanker and impossibly fade away, while a third crumbled to dust before her. She could see a man and a woman crouched next to her, looking concerned. Doctor, she whispered, realising as she did that she couldn't speak any louder. The man leant in. Doctor, she whispered again more urgently. The man looked a little confused as her hands went to the swell of her stomach. I'm afraid I'm not really that kind of doctor, he said apologetically. The look in Lady Samantha's eye was enough to stop him talking. Doctor, if you and Romana don't help me deliver my baby right now... She didn't need to say any more. And Alexandra Romana Warren became the only Warren ever to be born in the street. They were three days out from the intended colony world when Lady Penelope Warren swore for only the third time in her life. The rest of the engineering team was undertaking major repairs on the hyperdrive, and so, naturally, when the report of a fault in the main airlock had come in, they'd send her to deal with it. Lady Penelope was aware that the rest of the engineering team were uncomfortable around her. It wasn't that she was a woman, it wasn't that she was an aristocrat, but somehow the combination of the two seemed to give them misgivings. They treated her like she was a child, like she was made of glass. Like she was a child made of glass. She was still angry when she reached the airlock. She'd suited up just in case, but there was no way she could be vented out into space by accident. It required two people on the outside of the hatch to simultaneously seal the airlock and vent it. Which is why, when the airlock sealed, Lady Penelope found herself swearing for the fourth time in her life. Looking over the airlock viewing hatch, she saw two of the quell facing her. We are sorry. Their voices echoed in her mind, and then the airlock opened, and Lady Penelope was sucked out into the vacuum of space. She was considering swearing again when she drifted through the open doors of a 1960s police box to safety.
And that's the end of it, said Samuel, unsurprised that neither of the strangers questioned the police box. From the first, Lord Warren threw to my mother, and then threw to me, which I suppose is why you're here. The strangers exchanged glances. What do you mean by that? asked the young lady. Well, I assume you are the doctor and Romana, Samuel explained. So I guess this is it. I'm surprised you wanted to hear the whole story. Well, we'd never heard it before, said the doctor, before leaning in conspiratorially. It hasn't happened to us yet. But now we know when and where we need to go, we can be sure to pop back and save all of your family, just as soon as we're sure you're safe from the quell. You think they'll come for me? Samuel asked. The doctor nodded. The quell are born from the echoes of those they erase from existence. Every time they fail to erase you, the one you were meant to become ceased to be. First seven, then six, then five. By my counting, there's only one of them left. You are correct. The voice appeared in their minds without anyone speaking. The statue of the quell in the study was now standing in the doorway, except it clearly wasn't a statue. We must survive, said the last of the quell. Samuel Warren must die. And so saying, it rushed forward towards Samuel. The doctor tried to impose himself between them, but the quell flung him aside. Romana made to pull it back as it fastened its fingers around Samuel's throat. It shrugged her off. As she fell, she caught hold of its mask, pulling it with her, revealing the face of the last of the quell. It was a face Samuel knew. Jonathan? he asked. The quell that had been the governor's son froze. We are the quell, it said. You're Jonathan Wright, Samuel said. You're the governor's son. You're my friend. The quell stood there, frozen. Then a smile played across its face. Thank you, it said, before crumbling to dust. The last of the Warrens looked down on the remains of the last of the quell. It was a dark and stormy night. The governor sat in his office alone, enraged at the storm and at Lord Samuel Warren. His son Jonathan slept in his room upstairs. No one appeared. No deals were struck. As the storm died down and the sun rose, the governor drifted off to sleep at his desk. It was going to be a bright and beautiful day.